Hey folks, welcome to Florida Uncut, the podcast all about the people behind the protection and connection of wild Florida. And connection is so important because, you know, the the name Florida Uncut actually comes from the idea of a connected landscape. It's not enough just to protect little pockets of the landscape here and there, uh, like through Ocala National Forest or the Everglades or whatever it is, but they also need to be connected because we know that animals and even plants need that room to be able to travel up and down the state. We know that they would roam that far if they have the ability. So this idea of a connected Florida is kind of that big audacious goal out there. And no one has done more for that goal than the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And one of the instrumental people to that entire effort is joining us today on the podcast, Mallory Dennett. This is a huge honor. Mallory is a seventh generation Floridian who grew up exploring the lands and waters of Florida. And today we're going to hear a little bit more about how this whole idea called the Florida Wildlife Corridor even came to be. It took time to formulate. It took effort by a lot of people to even say this is even possible. Then once the idea was there, Mallory and two of her good friends, Carlton Ward and Joe Guthrie, decided to travel the corridor on foot through the thick of the woods and the swamp just like an animal would have to for a thousand miles over the course of a hundred days to help promote the idea of the corridor. And this was over 10 years ago now. This is 2012. So we're going to talk about how it started, how it's going, and how we're going to finish this idea. It's already more than halfway complete. 11 million acres protected, only 8 million to go. Let's get it done. First of all, welcome. Welcome to Florida Uncut. Thank you. Thanks yeah, so much yeah. for doing this. No, this is this is great. This has been a, a fun project, and and you were you're at the top of my list guest to have on. So this is this is a huge honor. I love the work y'all do and the idea y'all have uh, pursued for quite a while now. Um, tell us a little bit about where we are. This is kind of a newer space. Yes. So in October, you know, we recently just opened these Florida Wildlife Corridor Foundation offices on the campus at the factory St. Pete. So we're in the Warehouse Arts District, kind of right up against the Pinellas Trail. Um, So a lot of things here come together that echo the values of our organization. And as part of our new offices, we've incorporated an, an art gallery into the to our headquarters. And so we're calling that Wild Space Gallery. And you just had the chance to walk through it. And we have our first exhibition up um, called The Circle of Water from Mickett Sackhouse Artists. And it kind of brings all things together for us. The power of storytelling, art as, you know, as an emotional way to connect with people um, around nature and around the work that we do. And to showcase all the beauty and, you know, what's at stake with Wild Florida right here. We'd love to get out into the corridor. I know we're going to talk about that. And, you know, that's my personal passion. But there's also a real value for sometimes bringing people, you know, to a physical place in the middle of a metro area where you can tell the story um, with the assistance of art. It's a it's an interesting place to have your headquarters, I've always thought, because this might be the farthest place in Florida that you can get from the corridor, which most people are within an hour right. or half an hour easily. You might be one of the farthest points from it here. Not, and that's not far. It's just, yeah. it's funny. Right. It's true. When you look at the overall map of the corridor, it takes these huge swings <laughs> around the metro areas, right? As our sprawl, just from our major yeah. population centers, has affected that opportunity. But when I think when I moved back to Florida, you know, a little 
little over 10 years ago and was thinking about, you know, what makes the most sense. Being halfway down the West Coast gives you sort of equidistance to all parts of the corridor, ex except that's not true for the Panhandle. Right, so right, right. <laughs> it's very hard to find a place that is, you know, truly equidistant for that. And, um, and St. Pete just has this vibe that felt like, you know, kind of the best of the built-out environment in Florida, um, where there was still a very much an appreciation for environment here. And a lot of other organizations have their headquarters here that felt like the right fit. Had also the sort of quality of life. It feels like a small town with offerings of a bigger metro area, very walkable, and at this burgeoning art scene, they were all part of the draw. And I think if you can connect with the corridor from here and kind of like, you, you know the struggles of what anyone in Florida would face as far as distance and, and access right. if you live here. So if you, if you can figure it out from this point, that should be, you know, a great example for anybody in Florida, whether that's Miami or Jacksonville, or like you said, the panhandle, you can just throw a rock to the corridor anywhere you are up there. But, uh, <laughs> and you grew up north of here. What, what, what was, what was kind of your early experiences with wild Florida? What were those places? Well, really, this Tampa Bay area has, you know, been home to me for a big part of my life. And <clears throat> and so I would say early on, you know, in Dunedin, it was just access to the bay and to the islands and to our state parks. You know, I was a, kind of across from Caladesi Island State Park growing up and also spent a lot of time on honeymoon. And then even just the, the spoil islands in the middle that were from the from the channel, um, being dredged, those were our in-between, you know, our halfway points if you were if you were paddling or boating or anything to Caladesi or Honeymoon. Um, and we would do campouts on those as kids. And um, I just had a lot of freedom. And then, you know, I mentioned that we're along the Pinellas Trail here. I was a kid when the Pinellas, when the train tracks were actually converted to be in a rails-to-trails project to become this paved bike path. That was one block from my house as a kid, and so I was able to get on that and go north and south, you know, all the way up to Tarpon Springs, or... Jeez. I yeah. didn't come to St. Pete very often, uh, <laughs> but now, you know, the the ability to ride that for miles is fantastic. So That is awesome. Yeah, and... and what was, I mean, what was going on environmentally then do you remember? I know as kids, you're not maybe paying attention to certain things, but was it the sense of urgency there in a lot of places? And it also sounds like you had a very coastal lifestyle. Yep. Um, when did it start turning more inland? Well, I would say, you know, I was really lucky because I had a coastal lifestyle, but my parents loved, also loved wild Florida and took us as kids to a lot of our state parks and a lot of our rivers. And, you know, so we spent time like on weekends, just getting out and, you know, sort of station wagon exploring these places. A lot of, you know, they were into canoeing and kayaking. And a lot of my memories are my sister and I dragging behind our parents' canoe on spring fed rivers. We would wear a mask. We would, we would be just squealing with delight at all the things. And, you know, we hate to get back in the boat. We just wanted to be in the water. Yeah. Um, but we did all of those, you know, paddled so many of those rivers as kids. So in my adult life, as I've gotten to recreate some of those journeys on our expeditions, you know, I have these memories that come back from being there at a, at a young age. So I think I had that nexus. And then also my mom's side of the family is a, a ranching family. And we also spent time going to the middle of the state. And so I was aware of those sort of classic, iconic, wide open Florida prairie views and, you know, cattle and horses and, you know, spending time at the ranch as hammocks well. And, yeah, hammocks that, and all that. that. Scene, yeah. Yep. And so 
those two things were, you know, I think the sort of respite from Pinellas County, one of the most densely populated counties in the state, you know, we would we would get out a lot to the to the rest yeah. of the state. And that was our that was kind of just how we explored yeah. and um you know learned about we it. Have both. Yeah. So I mean it, it's I know a lot of people can almost choose one or the other, but it's just having those options is just amazing. And I know there's places that have a huge variety like the Pacific Northwest or California and whatnot, but mm-hmm. um this this isn't too bad. Right. And we do have that huge variety. It's just more subtle and you have to learn to look for it. It's not in your face like a mountain range, but it is here. Absolutely. And I know y'all spend a lot of time talking about that. How important was it for you to leave and come back to do the work you're doing now? It was very, it was formative. And I think, you know, essential in my journey, really one in that it my early career with the Nature Conservancy out west taught me a lot just about conservation, right? So it was it was a wonderful training ground for the work that I do now. But you know, also importantly, when you leave and come back, you have that greater awareness of what's changed while you're gone and the heightened urgency that we were just talking about. So I think, you know, every time I would come back and visit and especially whenever I got out into the middle of the state, there would be these new developments or these changes that were shocking. If you if they were in your backyard every day and you drove that road every day or whatever, it wouldn't feel that way because of the progress over time you would kind of gotten numb to. But when you come and go, um, it's much more sort of eye-opening. And so I was always in conversation with Carlton, who also was kind of traveling and come you know came back to florida and was having these same experiences and we both were saying like what are we going to do about our our, you know our home state this place where we have because he because he was experiencing a similar going to africa and like seeing these stark differences rather than a gradual frog in the pot boil you know it was like holy cow right yep and then wanting to do something about it so that was our early impetus to work work on this uh predecessor organization to the Florida Wildlife Corridor Foundation. And it was called LINC, the Legacy Institute for Nature and Culture. And that was Carlton's sort of brainchild, but I, you know, was immediately sort of roped in into wanting to help put some structure on that and bring it to life because the need was so great. Wow. That I was going to ask, like, what were those early conversations about this? Was it a light bulb moment or more of a gradual growth of an idea what the florida wildlife corridor is today i know there's adjustments and adaptations and whatnot but was it like what if we took this existing you know greenways network and rebranded it and you know did this big expedition what what was that process like very much how you just described it i would say the earlier parts were a gradual conversation which was like what do we do about this feel this tension we feel for the places for you know the place that is part of both of our heritage that's changing so fast, how are we going to contribute our our skills to do something here, even though we're doing these other projects, you know, in other places around the world, and and that kind of was like the link formation story and Carlson's early you know conser- conservation photography work. But the catalyst behind the Florida Wildlife Corridor campaign and the expeditions that followed really was a single spark conversation idea, you know, built from those early conversations, but at a bear workshop at Archibald Biological Station, where the scientists were looking at the maps of all of the corridors needed around the state. And it was Carlton who said, for this to resonate and catch on, we need to wrap these all into one and call it something like the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And that's how that idea was born. And then a group of really 10 different organizations, people who were there, you know, 
put some phone calls in and launch that concept on Earth Day in 2010. Yeah. What made y'all say we're the ones to do this and not, <laughs> oh, somebody's got to do this, you know, because a lot of, most people think that way. Like, oh yeah, that'd be, who's going to do, somebody go do that. That's right. Who says, I, let's do this. <laughs> we got the skills. Let's like, like form a, uh, the A team or whatever it is. Like what made you think that way? I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe it's just that we were crazy enough because you, you kind of got it. looped in <laughs> that's right and, and you're still in it <laughs> and i'm still in it and i'm still questioning you know um <laughs> how this happened originally but also um that might be the way all great adventures get started is you're really not sure but um you can't pass it up because you know it is going to be great right yeah. and so yeah i already had that spirit uh and and you know, I remember getting this phone call and Carlson was all excited and he was so passionate about it. And he said, you know, we've got to, there's this opportunity. The time is now, you know, we need to come together. You know, I was already sold on the need for the conservation work. And then the idea was, how are we going to bring attention to this? And let's do an expedition. Let's travel through Florida, you know, the way bear or panther would and and the story will be the journey. People will follow along on the journey, and that will be the way to get them to know and care about the places that we visit and the people and all the things that make Wild Florida special. And, you know, it didn't take me, I, I joked, it took me less than 10 seconds to say, like, I'm in. I'm in oh, for really? that. I was yeah. going to ask. That was actually my next question. When did it make sense to, like, let's do this crazy adventure and basically be a bear or be a panther and see what it would take and y'all ran across highways and trudged through swamps and went like we talked about before went upstream for hundreds of miles right and so that was almost a not a pr stunt but that was the thing that was going to bring attention and you were in right away i was in right away and it was this this big hairy audacious goal for you know lack of a better term but i mean it was it was nothing but a vision at that point right like now in 2023 the florida wildlife corridor has come a long way since those early talks but nobody else knew what we were talking about when we were even trying to go get permission to plan this journey you know i mean it was just a, talking to ranchers and yeah come join us on a what now <laughs> So it was a it was a map vision, and you had to explain the concept. You know, we're further along just as a society who's open to those concepts now than we were even at that time. So, you know, it was slow going, maybe fast and slow all at once, right? To we to plan this thousand mile trek, I would say we could have used a lot more time because it did it had to just come together quickly. Um, but also, it was an important listening exercise to go around the state to talk to the landowners, the land managers, all of our land management agencies about you know what to highlight, where to go, what were the stories along the way, because we wanted each week, really, of this journey to be chapters unfolding as we went. And, and that ethos kind of took us through the next expedition as well, which is we're a little bit the vehicle, um, but trying to give voice then along the way to every person who is on the ground and making this opportunity still possible. The filmmaker Elam Stolzas, who went with us, you know, we filmed 99 different interviews on that on that first expedition, and I mean like long setup, you know, camera yeah. in a hundred days. On a hundred days, so that that storytelling and capturing that was all part of the journey as well. Yeah. Know? It wasn't just our adventure. It really was about giving voice in a connected way to everybody along the way. What y'all did with like a media schedule and the meetings and just the, the 
I very rarely talk to people on adventures that do that just because it's so impossible. So that was hard to pull off if you were driving around and you were just setting up the meetings as an, in normal life, but to do that while covering 20 miles or 10 miles through the swamp or whatever you're doing is an entirely separate challenge. And I'm sure that there were times that it felt this isn't going to work out or today's schedule isn't going to work And I'm sure it didn't many times. <laughs> many times. <laughs> there were many times we got to camp very late and just along the way you could see, you know, we are time slowing down and especially, you know, at any change between modes, right? Of course, when you're talking to any person, you expect that to go along and you want to be giving the full yeah, attention to that. it's just going so well. You're yeah. Right. So we, you're, we know we're not trying to rush any of those along. Um, but yeah, when, you know, we did this on bicycle, kayak, paddle boards along the way and we're hiking and whenever you would kind of go from one to the other and you were met by the gear trailer, that was the chance for things to really go really, off the rails, yeah. slow down and other people showing up and, you know, so, so we had to go. Yeah, people to, running into you saying, what, what yeah, are you doing? We had to go 10 plus miles a day plus put time and attention into telling the story and then also make sure, you know, we were enjoying it along the way. Yeah. So yeah, there was all of that. What would you say changed the most about the way you viewed Florida prior to that expedition versus after? Like how much did you think you knew the state versus what you experienced out there? Because you, you'd be a different person, I'm sure, and working on this a different way had you not done that first. Yeah. I mean, it was eye-opening in in every way, you know, and as I told you, you know, I thought I knew Florida. I mean, I yeah. I spent a long time as a kid exploring all no, when I thought that. all the nooks and crannies you know, of the state. But when you link them together, all those in-between places, you realize you, you know, didn't know. And every one of them is worthy of being a state park or a special destination. So I think that was, for me, it was just like a kind of a daily unearthing of these gems I didn't know um, along the way and, you know, made more special by the voices of the people who you were traveling with and meeting along the way who were telling you their expertise and their story. So, you know, that's the part, of course, we loved the most was just that the human interaction and the caretaking that goes into, you know, every property in Wild Florida. So... Those two things, you know, I just felt like it's still my life's biggest blessing. Um, and it was a gift. And each one of these places are gems. And so, you know, just really kind of talking in those terms, that's how valuable it felt. I mean, I, what, what I'm trying to guess, get across with this question is the ex experiencing it first is so important. Had, you know, a lot of us could just intellectually understand, mm -hmm. yes, this is important and we should do this. But that fervor, maybe, or that true understanding yeah. comes from experiencing it and doing something like this. I mean, it, 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 I'm sure it greatly changed the way you work on it today. Yes. Well, absolutely. You know, it gave me such a, a different level of appreciation for it. One, I think, you know, it's very easy on a map, but we're talking about a huge area. This is, the corridor is 18 million acres. And so, to kind of go slowly, you have the, it, it sort of unveils itself to you of just really how wild Florida is or, and the vastness of it and diversity of it. As we were just talking about all the different eco types that you cross, you know, you could drive to it and get that experience quickly. But I mean, 
you really you just start to realize how diverse it is and really how 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 vast the opportunity is. Um, and that was now you know that was 2012, so almost 12 years ago um, when we did that expedition. It's not as vast now, and there are threats to it, and it's changing all the time. But one of the things we heard from that from our first film was like, you know, it doesn't look like this is under threat because, of course, we were, and we felt deep in this heart of wild Florida, but we weren't showing the places at the edge and those sort of rapidly changing areas as much. And that's been our goal, obviously, more recently, is to really also illuminate the threats to this incredible opportunity that you know we we first highlighted. Um, and we do that now through shorter expeditions and different voices, but really focusing on places that are the, you know, at the cutting edge really of where development is happening the fastest and where the pressure into the corridor is happening quickly or some of the narrow places that are at risk of breaking in this yeah. big long chain. How do you do that and not divulge into just negativity and hopelessness because y'all are very intentional about bringing a message of hope. You do a really good job about that. And I do truly believe Mm -hmm. that this story is a hopeful one and this opportunity is possible, but there's just a lot of Floridians that don't feel that way. Yeah. Well, it was important to us from the beginning, but the inspiration comes from the places themselves and the people themselves. Right. And so it's, it wasn't something that had to be manufactured. And so, you know, that, that hope, that genuine spirit of excitement about the opportunity to save this wildness resonates all the way through. And for me, you know, I think many Floridians do feel disheartened, but the Florida Wildlife Corridor can be and is a solution. And so when you get a chance to kind of explain that and talk about it on the map and people learn that like this is possible, that right there is the hope. And then you take the stories of, you know, people who are doing the work and the successes along the way to build on that and really amplify it. So probably all of us that initially started this effort are hopeful people anyway. Um, yeah, but I guess you wouldn't be doing this in the first place. <laughs> you wouldn't have even tried. I mean, that's, I guess that's, you know, an indication right there. But, um, that is what it, that is what it takes to inspire people and inspire change. It wasn't going to be done through a sort of doom and gloom story. You know, I mean, I just feel like we're, we've moved on to an era where people want to know how they can help, how they can be a part of it. And what is the vision, um, that is going to save this and make the change. And then they are compelled to be part of it. No one's moved to action by hopelessness. You know, what's the point at that point? So, and I think what's interesting is, uh, I don't think a lot of people realize just how much land already is conserved. When you look at, okay, 18 million acres, holy cow, that's a lot of work. You're like, whoa, we have, what, 11 million is already nearly is already there. That's, if you look at that as far as like a progress bar, you're over halfway by by a decent amount. Yeah. What are some of those unique challenges of the last seven, eight million acres that that weren't, weren't there for the first 10? Well, one is just getting people to know that that first part, right? Like, I think we have a little bit of a perception problem in Florida where we don't we don't know we're as good as we are, right? That's something that's, that's all throughout. Yeah. Many things in our culture. <laughs> Many things. But I'll specific, and that's maybe why you know we're not attuned to the fact that like Florida is a leader in land conservation and has been now for decades, mm-hmm. you know, for generations, and so we at and all conservation community that does this work, try to give credence and and thanks to those early pioneers who saw the need for land protection in Florida and got us on a public program through the state to protect those acres early on. Um, 
and to be, which is why we're now, you know, more than halfway through this corridor opportunity. The challenge now, though, is a little bit different. The pressure is turned up, right? That time it table, the timetable, time clock is ticking, and the easiest acres to protect, if you will, have already been done. Low hanging fruit. Yeah, the low hanging yeah. fruit, and um, some of the real cornerstones, obviously, in the in the state, keystones in the corridor itself. So if you think of Everglades and Ocala National Forest and Apalachicola National Forest, I mean, these huge properties that just you know. Our challenge now is to be able to keep them connected and link to them through a mix of habitat types and really land use conditions. You know, so there's everything in between. There's some encroaching development. There's some, you know, mining and some more industrial uses. And there's a lot of agricultural operations. Farmland, forestry, cattle, ranching are the primary ones. Um, the largest amount of the of the opportunity in the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Um, so that's exciting, but even that has its own challenges. And you know, right now we're in this we're in this shift demographically as landowners are sort of aging out and looking at, you know, are their kids going to follow? Where we're you know some of them do, and they're looking for ways to protect their land for future generations. But some of them are you know also selling to developers right who are, who are right there and and beating down the door every day, you know, sort of asking for that property. So. It's, it's an important time, and this decade really is instrumental in our ability to fulfill that connected vision for the state. What do you find is the biggest reason landowners decide to put their land in conservation or decide to not call one of the stack of business cards they have on their desk of developers? What, what has been like the biggest, one of the biggest indicators? You know, I think every landowner goes through their own personal, you know, sort of long journey in their own right as they think about that, you know, really. And so I can't speak to sort of how hard that must be for each one to consider consider all the options for, for the future of their land. But so many of them and what I've seen are want what's there now to continue. And I think that is the that's what comes through. That's sort of more often, you know, a lot of times that, that wins out is, you know, their long held commitment to this place and their want for the next generations to also be able to sort of keep the way of life going and have the same deep respect for this place. I think many landowners view themselves as a steward along the way, but, you know, not necessarily the final steward, right? And, and a lot of them even speak in terms like this is God's gift to us and my job here is to take care of it and then make sure the next person that it gets taken care of but you know it's going to it's going to continue on to provide benefits for people many generations down and so i think it's just that legacy you know it comes down to a legacy question and their legacy could be something different could be development but for many that legacy is there in keeping the land productive in an agricultural sense and for wildlife and all the benefits that come from it and people and you know that sort of livelihood enjoyment from it so those last 7 million acres, a lot of which are on working lands, mm -hmm. have private landowners, is it going to be enough, you think, to rely on on voluntary willingness to, hey, I want, I want my legacy to live on through this land? How do you I don't know, increase that cadence? Is it just showcasing examples or, you know, I, I feel like with uh, some conservation areas, that were done like the Everglades headwaters, it was almost like a domino effect. Mm -hmm. Once one landowner saw 
oh, Paul's doing that, you know, Margaret's doing that, I'll do it. But it took that some sort of seed in that community to kind of encourage the surrounding areas to also buy into that idea and concept. Yeah. Because and it can go the other way too. Well, that so and so selling their land of development. I mean, that I might as well too. So what how what does that strategy look like for y'all? Yeah. Well, it's so true that, you know, it, it can go the other way. And that's something that you know, we've got to work hard to prevent because I think that tide is hard to turn once it sort of starts in an area. But the strategy looks like moving on many fronts at once. And so where I think land protection in, in Florida, you know, several decades ago could have been property by property. Now that has to be the case, but with hundreds of organizations working to do it at the same time and billions of dollars in uh, availability in the, through the state programs and through federal programs to purchase easements and give landowners those incentives to want to protect their property for the long term. So, I mean, it's the same work as it's always been. It's personal relationships and trust, but it's just trying to do that on an accelerated scale now for the remaining areas of the corridor. And so that so that people can hear about it, have that awareness of what their neighbors are doing and want to be part of it. And I think just the identity of the Florida Wildlife Corridor has really helped that. You know, if it were a more nebulous thing, it wouldn't be having the success that it that it does. But by being able to sort of see on the map, you know, progress towards this goal, that you're a part of something that is going to be lasting here in the state um, and is really an example for other states in the nation and around the world. You know, it's part of that motivation um, to get it done. And I think the whole conservation community has been re-inspired by the Florida Wildlife Corridor to, you know, double down, triple down uh, the sort of the rate of success to keep up with the pace of change. Your, your goal, your overall goal is not just, I mean, with the Florida Wildlife Corridor, it is to protect Florida, but what, what's your hope for the concept of corridors themselves. Yeah, it's really that they will connect globally, you know, and um, as we think about our changing climate, our changing planet, the opportunity for, you know, a wildlife corridor that starts at the southern tip of Florida um, to make its way across the rest of the continent and really, you know, towards the poles. I mean, I'm thinking about it on a very grand scale and in multiple directions coming out of Florida. So, you know, for us, the thought has never ended at the Georgia border or at the Alabama border, but it's inspiring conservation across those lines and across the next counties and to the Appalachian mountain chain and beyond, you know, that's the, that's I the big vision. I tell people all the time, I said, if we can, if we can do it in Florida, that's you can right. do it in your state. Because this is about as difficult of a place it would be to make a corridor. Yeah. Now, if you can do it here, you can do the Yukon to Yellowstone. You can do it through California. You can do it in the Northeast. Um, you can do it anywhere. That's basically. right. Think about Maine. You know, that's the sort of, that's the other end of this um, in, a, in a lot of ways for the continental United States. And um, there's so much happening there already. And there's so much happening in Florida. We're sort of bookending this natural Appalachian yeah. corridor. It's, it's, I think it's providing a lot of hope yep. for the conservation community because it's the last thing on a lot of people's minds that come here, yes. yet it's happening right under their nose, this huge movement that, that's going to uh, provide a lot of hope 
for efforts all around the world, which is pretty exciting. It is. And then, you know, I've always been the, and my team laughs at me because I immediately take any idea and go bigger with it. But um, (laughs) we can't ignore the fact that, you know, Florida is also this thumb that sticks out into the waters all around us and is is also intimately connected to the Caribbean and the islands beyond and, and, you know, our Gulf and Atlantic ecosystem. All of that is also part of this, which sometimes we forget to really talk about, but just the connectivity of water with the corridor that we're protecting and global processes. And anyway, it's all connected. So what what we're doing here matters really on that global scale. There was a talk given in our gallery a couple of weeks ago. um, It was just wonderful, really about the underlying geology of the state of Florida and the width of that continental shelf is much bigger than people think. So when we start thinking about really Florida as sort of ancestral Florida, that is, um, it does bring in, you know, a lot more of the geography than just the present day Florida. Wow. So, so, so let me ask you a little bit about some advice. This, what's really important with this podcast is like call to actions and just like, what can the average person do? What are some of the best things that you've seen individuals do uh, to get involved? People that have nine to fives and families. One of the struggles with me is just like being aware of what's happening around, just being informed, just it can, big things can just kind of slip by unnoticed. What, what, what would you tell somebody that wants to get involved? Yeah, well, I love this question. And, you know, to me, I think of sort of a long list of things because it's going to be different for every person who's hearing this, you know, to find, find their way. And so I'll give you a couple examples. Um, sure, yeah, anything, everything, <laughs> everything you can share. Because oftentimes here, I'll say that this is why I will ask and make this important. I feel like a lot of conversations get to this point mm-hmm. and it kind of just, it dives off. There's not a whole lot of meat to what people can do to get involved. It's like, no, we're doing this. Y'all support us like if you want, but stay out of the way more or less. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people making big changes don't have a great thing people can get involved with. Does that make sense? Yes. And sometimes our answers can feel shallow when we say things like, and I do always start with this one, you know, get outside yourself. Um, but there's a reason for that. And you know, my, my better sort of answer of that is, and take somebody with you, um, because exposing people like we've been talking about to the wonders of wild Florida is the best first way to get people just excited about the concept, right. And curious and wanting to know more. And so we want that to happen for, you know, the next generation, people who, have just moved here they don't even know all about you know what is in their what is in their proverbial backyard and a little bit beyond or so many of the places that you know we we tried to highlight on the expeditions um so many of the places that are being protected now are open to the public and just can provide that first entree um so that's important and then to become an advocate for it is the next step and that can take many different paths you know i think getting involved with your local organization, a land trust in your area, your favorite conservation organization, doesn't have to be our organization, just any of them. You know, there are many, um, that is critically important. They need your, they need you on their membership, but they also need you as a volunteer and they need you as a volunteer, whether that's a board member or recruiting new folks, leading hikes, doing what it is that you can do, or volunteering to show up to go to Tallahassee and DC and on, on those days too, and just represent the voice of people who care about wild Florida. Um, I think that's so important. And then the other thing you mentioned is, you know, not knowing sometimes what's happening around you. 
that um, or nearby that can sneak up really quickly. So the best thing, I think, if we can mobilize people to get involved in their own local jurisdiction um, in their planning and zoning, you know, that's really where the sort of meat of this comes. And it doesn't, it's not, it's not a sexy answer, but it is showing up um, and changing the makeup of those wards to be about people who care about the environment and give it equal consideration and voice in those planning realms, that's hugely important, and just to be an advocate for Wild Florida in in your local community. So those are ways to take a more public-facing role. But I also think it's so, and sometimes we overlook this, like we can do in our own backyards, we can benefit the species that also are you know, benefited by the Florida Wildlife Corridor just in our own backyard. So, you know, I encourage people to take action where they live, wherever that is, to just try to be a better steward of your place. And if that, if your backyard, if you can make a switch to, you know, native species that are going to benefit our birds, those same birds are also in the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And we're helping to keep, help those species thrive. And so um, do what it is, you know, I'm, I've come back a lot to kind of the decisions that our grandparents made and or others as we just take care of our own place. Like how can we do that in a less energy and chemical intensive way and how we can do it in a more native species way where the ecosystem is taking care of itself. And I can provide those, you know, all the building blocks of the ecosystem um, for species. I mean, they, they're they here and they rely on us in a lot of ways where we're all interconnected. So think about it in terms of habitat, time involvement and advocating, um, bringing other people along. I'll tell you a quick story, if that's okay, about bringing others. I was helping a friend move the other day, and he had two other friends over there, and I've never met them. They're all Marines, former Marines. I didn't know this, actually. I knew one was in the military, and we were talking about uh, wild Florida because they were living right on the edge, uh, but in a in a new subdivision, and they were like, "Oh man, I just I just moved here. I would love to go paddling in wild Florida." And kudos to them; they all admitted. I'm actually too afraid to do that <laughs> because of alligators. Oh, and yeah. I thought, really? I'm like, you're a marine. You know what I mean? Come on, you're not afraid <laughs> of anything. And it was just a crazy realization that if two marines are intimidated by yes. Wild Florida, they're afraid to get out as these trained military veterans. Just one small experience would break down a lot of that fear and help them have the courage to go do it on their own. How much more so the rest of so millions of other Floridians that have never broken that through that fear to go experience wild Florida and realize, oh, a lot of these fears actually aren't there. What's scary is the drive there or the bike ride on the road or something that seems like it wouldn't be. But it, it, taking others with you is so important because just one small experience can kind of help come over, you know, get over that activation energy and realize, oh, and then next thing you know, they're going on their own and they're bringing their family or they're bringing their friends and it just has ripples effect. That's right. Absolutely. And it, it's a good reminder that, yeah, it can be intimidating for people to get going initially. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, sometimes I've spoken to uh, with groups and Sometimes that's even been like at that at your local outfitter store, and that is the place where oftentimes groups will be. You know, there are people willing to take 
have new folks come in, get to know what's so special about, you know, places right around us and find a group to go with on that first time. And I think that can be one, you're going to form bonds with people and you get a, oh, you great. get a new group of friends. Yeah. Um, but two, you're getting exposed yeah. to their favorite places, um, you know, and then you're taking people with you. So that, that is so important and it's a really good way. And I think about, you know, the other thing I tell people when they, when they ask, um, is to volunteer for a place. So another great way to get to know one of your natural areas in your backyard or park or preserve is to volunteer there. And through, you know, the, the, the rangers, the friends group, the organizers there, you're starting to get, you know, an insider's view of that place and you'll become, you'll become a steward of it and you can share it with other people. It's a great way to do it when you put in a little sweat equity into a place as well and you're giving back, um, your appreciation just deepens and grows. Absolutely. I got two more questions for you. What is one place in Florida that you specially connect with? Yeah. Well, for me, it's just so hard to come up with, you know, to give you one because, uh, well, I've never met a place I don't like, but, uh, (laughs) you know, in the Tampa Bay area, I face that decision. You're like, okay, we've got we've got one day or two days. Am I going to go east, south, or north? Right. So you know, that's to me. I think my my places are the ones I my most special ones I get to more often. Right. And I so I love the Mayaca. Um, every lots of lots of places to explore around Mayaca State Park and uh, the preserve the adjacent preserve and. It's close by, and I go there a lot um, for a reason, and I'm always sort of blown away by how special it is. So that's fantastic. Green Swamp, I feel the same way about. Um, So that's my other go-to spot. And then I love places on the nature coast. Um, So if I want to go north and get into Springs Country or just the, you know, that the coast itself, you know, I go that direction. People also have heard me talk a lot about Fishing Creek. So last, uh, right before Thanksgiving, I spent the Tuesday before Thanksgiving paddling Fishing Creek, and that's my that's my interior go-to spot as well when you want to get, kind of get away from it and a great introduction to people for really a, a nice half day. Like, what is Wild Florida if you've never been to Fishing oh. Creek? <laughs> you yeah, got to do I mean, it. That's, that's, that is, yeah. I mean, that's, that's like prime yes. Wild Florida. Didn't know you liked Mayaka so much. That's right mm-hmm. where I, that's where I go a lot. Last question is what, what gives you the most hope about the future of Florida? Uh, I think a lot of people would probably say you and the work y'all do here at the corridor, but what would you say? Oh, I'm Cause you're a lot of people's answer. actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's very humbling. But to me, I'm so inspired by the work that the Florida conservation community is doing. So what gives me hope is the step by step property by property that is being protected that we can watch, you know, sort of changing on our map from this light green opportunity area to dark green of conserved. Um, and so, you know, at every cabinet meeting and, and just sort of random announcements in between, that is what's giving me hope, that we are really changing the pace of conservation to move to be upwards of, you know, we need 100,000 acres a year or more protected. Um, And that is happening, starting to happen, and there's still more work to go, but just seeing, you know, property by property, um, that momentum is so inspiring for me. And, you know, it feels like we're building to this crescendo that is really necessary to be able to achieve this big vision. So I think we're the generation to close the book on this 
on this story that's been going on for a hundred years of called conservation and for right. a couple hundred years, like Clay Henderson brings that into perspective. We're at the tail end of this. Like yeah. we're, we're the generation to finish the battle basically, which yep. is just, I don't think uh, it, it was, it was, that was a new perspective to me. And I think a lot of people that would be. It's so important. And in this decade, you know, yes, we're the generation for that. And there's still things that are going to happen in, you know, some places where you have, 20 and 30 years to get there, but there are so many that we only have five to 10 years to protect. And so that is, you know, the, the heat, the heat's on, right? The pressure is on there. But on the other side of that, we are going to see, you know, gaps protected. And we know that those gaps are going to mean these larger areas on either side are going to stay connected for the long run. And so those are the hope things along the way. It's like just seeing that progress. Mallory, thank you so much. This was awesome. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I look yeah. forward, uh, maybe, maybe off the record of hearing all about your next adventures. <laughs> and um, but thanks for what you do to inspire people to get out and enjoy Florida or wherever they <clears throat> they might be and you know undertake their own adventures. Thank you so much to Mallory and also Marley Fuller for setting this up. You've been awesome. To everyone on the Florida Wildlife Corridor Foundation team, uh, they're doing an amazing job. If you want to check out the documentary that got this whole thing started of their 1,000-mile, 100-day human-powered adventure through the corridor, uh, that is linked in the show notes. You can also check out their other expedition films. And please, whatever you do, get out there and enjoy this place and show that we need it to exist.